Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 13 with Mark O'Neill. I feel like when it comes to the food industry, we don't take care of our mental health. We don't get the days off we should. We don't take the time we should to take care of our mental health. Um, And it's detrimental to who we are. I want to say my wake-up call came when my mentor, Anthony Bourdain, passed away. I pattern myself after him a lot. I would drink with my clients. I would, you know, I would drink uh, while I was cooking. I, I just felt like I lived this lifestyle of I'm going to ride it till the wheels fall off. I'm going to talk about it a lot more next year. But I had a substance abuse issue that I had to address. And um, I'm currently in recovery. And it's been the best thing in my life. It's changed my life. Um, and I think that that needs to be spoke on in the industry. I know a lot of chefs who, man, we drink, we drink on the line. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. On this week's episode, we talk with Chef Mark O'Neill, who does weekly meal prep as well as cooking for special events in the Washington, D.C. area. We talk about being a boss and building your brand, looking at multiple streams of income in the food industry, mental health and substance abuse in the food service industry, having a community of chefs to lean on, even when you work by yourself, and being aware of what you post on social media. Once again, thanks to Jug Bridge Brewery, located at 911 East Patrick Street in Frederick, Maryland, for giving us a space to record in. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. All right, we're back. The Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm Andrew. And this is Chris. We're your hosts, and we're here today with Chef Marco a.k.a. the base god. Base god. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming up. Thank you for making the trip out here. We appreciate you. Man, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So hailing from, well, you out of Columbia, Maryland right now, right? That's correct. And you're originally from? A uh, suburb right outside of Baltimore. Shout out to Glen Burnie. No, no, oh, yeah. But you're from South, North Carolina? South, uh, Carolina? South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Families from South Carolina, Plantersville, small town uh, right outside of, I say like Georgetown area. And then who is uh, who is Chef Marco? Tell the tell the listeners what what you do, what you're about. Oh, Chef Marco is an entertainer. <laughs> I am a chef that utilizes my personality as well as my passion for cooking to. Uh, entertain and just share my passion that's really what it's about I'm more than just uh feeding the people i want to make people laugh i want to give people food for thought as well as food for their bellies um yeah that's chef marco I, that has a lot of value in this industry i think and speaking of food for thought what uh what are you currently cooking what's going on in 2020 what do you got moving what's shaking Ooh, all right so the motto for 2020 is being a boss and building your brand um, that is the biggest thing I'm pushing. I feel like we all know how to cook. This is what we do. We're chefs, but we need to learn how to be bosses 
and we need to learn how to build our brand. So that's the motto for 2020. I mean, I'm pushing that. I want I want our chefs to all not be afraid to get out of restaurants. This is you know this is what this is called chef without restaurants. So in 2020, I'm pushing how how it's done because this is the first year I've done it mm-hmm. uh, fully completely on my own. So now I feel like I can share with people the business aspect and what it really takes to be a chef without a restaurant. All in. Gotta be all in. You gotta be. Gotta be. This shit is a lot of work. Yep. So tell, what was your first, like, what's your introduction to food? Maybe at home or like, and then, and then maybe get into your job experience. Well, I knew I loved food. I'm going to go all the way back. I knew I loved food at five years old when my brother taught me how to cook bacon. The way the fat rendered on the bacon, I thought it was amazing. To see it go from its raw, fleshy state to 10 minutes or 13 minutes. I remember 13 minutes in the oven (laughs) at 375. uh, It just transformed. And I thought that was amazing. I just couldn't. I was like, how does And I was interested in it. And once I learned what that was and rendering fat and I think that's where that's where the base guy comes from. Just doing things with, you know, that was my introduction to cooking. Um, then I just fell in love with textures and things after that. And it grew from there. But that was it. it was bacon. <laughs> bacon put you on. Bacon put what? me on. Bacon, you know, put me up. Was your brother a cook? Nah, my brother. Actually, I think my brother would have been a great brunch chef. Because um, that was his thing. Yeah, my brother could make you some the fluffiest eggs, the most, the best bacon, like pancakes, all that. So, yeah, I think he would have did brunch, uh, but he wasn't really a, a chef. So, what did you have on the timeline as far as like? So, you got your introduction. You got the bacon introduction. Yeah, I got I got my introduction, and then after that, I was just a, a home cook. I just liked to cook in the house, mm-hmm. um, but I, I had no plans on being a chef. Because I didn't think chefs made money. And another thing was I didn't think they were cool. My idea of a chef was the guy in a, in a dirty white coat and the big top hat and the baggy checkered pants. And I was like, hell no. that's I'm too cool for that. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, even though I knew there were chefs that were successful, I was hell bent on, on being me and being cool. I was young. I just didn't think it was fly. I didn't think chefs got girls. So I was like, nah, this is not a career path I would take. But I always was passionate in cooking. Always. Little did you know. Yeah, little did I know. <laughs> I'm actually, you know, um, so the way I really got into the industry was uh, I started at young at Burger King. Me too. Yep. Hey, I worked King at Burger house. King. And that was my introduction to the food industry. And what the thing that I liked, I really liked the rush. I liked the fact that it would hit about 5.30, 6 o'clock, the drive throughs packed, the restaurant is packed, and I look up again and it's 9 o'clock. And I love that. I love that. So I've always been addicted to that part of the industry, the, the dinner rush. I, in, from, from working at Burger King, it started. And then um, after that, I was like, okay... This still doesn't make enough money. So I kind of left the food industry for a while and um, I tried my hand at something else. But I ended up coming back to cooking when I started working at a hotel as a dishwasher. Mm-hmm. And um, 
the line, the, the, the dishwashing like section was at the end of the hotline. So when I didn't have dishes, I'd be watching the cooks and I, and me coming from the industry, I just felt like I could do it. I was like, man, I could do what they're doing. I'm like, that looks so easy. Like I got to get off this, uh, this, this, this dishes. So I made my way off the dishes and I got to the hotline and I was okay, but I couldn't do the stuff that they were doing. And just being a competitive person, I made it my business to learn it. But I still didn't want to be a chef. I just was like, oh, I'm going to do this because I don't have Where dishes. Where was that? At the Westin. Uh, right, the Westin BWI. Shouts out to everybody that's still there. Um, but yeah, that's where I started as a dishwasher 10 plus years ago. Yeah, that grounds you, I think, you know, because sometimes you see these kids who never worked in food, they go to culinary school, they come out, and they think they're going to be a chef, and they've never had to be, you know, a dishwasher or a, even a line cook, they come out and they want to be the sous chef or the executive chef. And I think like, there's something to be said for working right from the, the bottom. Yeah, I agree. It humbled me. It keeps me humble, knowing that I started literally from the bottom. And I worked my way up each position. I didn't jump the rope at all. I went from dishwasher to prep cook to prep to line cook to lead line cook to sous chef to exact like I had to work each and every position and each one it was work it kept me grounded it keeps me humble to this day is your business now like a side hustle or are you all in I'm all in I'm so all what in. was your breaking point from or what was your last job and, and kind of what was the breaking point that made you just want to go and do your own thing my last job was two years ago. I was the executive chef at Tommy Joe's in Bethesda. And, uh, who man, I don't know if I want to put this out there. <laughs> what really made Some what really, you, know, you don't have to. Well, I had a lifestyle. I had a lifestyle change where uh, I didn't have I, I didn't have my position. I had to step down because of some circumstances, and I just knew my worth. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on myself. So I bet on myself and stepped out there and I still had the job. Um after I stepped down from my exec position, I was just regular line cook. I still had it and I was like, you know what? This is it. I'm gonna go all in. And then once I went in all in, it was with my social media. Once I really dedicated my time to it, uh somebody reached out to me. Uh, I had a professional athlete. Uh, reach out to me and the just the business I was able to get from him I allowed me to go full on I'm not working I'm my own boss you know so I had to take that leap of faith but it was a circumstance lifestyle circumstance it wasn't by choice it was something happened that I just was like okay I can't go backwards I can't go back my pride was hit that's what it was I was like I can't be a a line cook and I was just y'all boss like and I, I was like I can't do this my pride and, I was, and that's what made me jump out there but once I jumped out there um good things start happening once I was all in once I put it all in and I was like F a job you know and I was like I could do this that's when the opportunity presented itself to, to, to for it to come to fruition so do you have restaurant dreams uh no I don't want that headache at all I'm not going to lie to you. This being Chefs Without Restaurants podcast, we kind of like to go that. Yep. I don't want a restaurant. Not that there's anything wrong with the other answer. And I'll tell you the biggest reason why. uh, What I create myself in a big part of my brand is getting 
a consistent product. And me being a true chef, I'm so OCD that I want to touch everything. I can't, I couldn't own a restaurant because mm-hmm. I'm going to be on the line telling the chefs to get the fuck out the way. You're not cooking it right. You know, and that's, and I've learned to accept that about myself. And I realized that because my product is not something I want to be tampered with, it's not something I want to be duplicated. I rather service a small amount of people for more money and just charge them than try to expand and water down my product and hurt my brand. You know, so yeah, restaurants out of the question. Unless somebody come in with that check. Anything possible when they come with that check. That's true. You know. That's true. Well, you got a good enough team behind you. Yeah. You might one day you might find a bunch of Eight players, eighteen Man, players. You know? you know what? It's I learn to accept that I'm just OCD. I work with, I work with people that I feel like probably got better skills than me, but I know how I like something done, and I'm that kind of guy. You, I'll come right next to you and just move it to the left just a little bit, and it's it's terrible. So I had to accept that maybe I don't need to be older. Cause I can't. Yeah, I be I be that guy. Like I'm cool, but I wouldn't be cool. They'd be like, man, he just had to come, you know. Like, and I've accepted that. That's just how I am. I'm I'm very hands on with my product. I just can't. Um, a way I got I got on was a chef told me he was like, every plate you cook, act like it's for your grandma. That shit changed me. Every restaurant. Worked at everywhere I've, I've ever been, having that mind state, it just makes me have integrity to my product that nobody else has because I always every every last plate. I don't rush. I don't do if it's if it's wrong. I'm replating it like I treat it like yo, this is for grandma. So with that being my motto, it's hard for everything to be for grandma when I'm letting other I'm putting it in other people's hands. You know, I mean that's a character flaw, but it is what it is. When I watch people make my pieces, I, I'm always trying. Like, I have to, it's almost like you have to correct it, something, but most of the time I try to just let them do it. And now, like, I, if I'm there, I want to see the finished product. If it looks good. It's good. You know, I know it's. I know what they put on it, so I know it's going to taste good. Sure. And I can see if they put too much of something or not enough. Right. Um. But then I've come to the point where I got some people I can rely on, and, and sometimes I won't be around, and I just gotta. Yeah, you know, if I'm not there, I can't nitpick. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Well, hopefully, maybe I'll get to them. that point. Right now, I don't, I don't even trust myself. You know? <laughs> so I want to, I'm, I'm all, and I think it's because I'm in the beginning stages too. I'm all about everything's got to be perfect. I don't have, I don't get a second chance to impress your taste buds. You know, mm-hmm. I have to make sure that the food looks and tastes good right now. Well, it's different when you are running a place that's not yours as opposed to when you have your own place, mm-hmm. right? And you're building brand because I came from working in a place that wasn't my place, but I had like over 100 employees and there was no way. I mean, we were running five dining venues. I just couldn't be in all of them all at one time. And you just had to be comfortable with chefs kind of doing their own thing. But like now I have Perfect Little Bites, which is my business, like – I don't think I could have another chef go out and do a gig without me. You know, people say like, how do you, how do you grow? How do you scale? And it's like, I feel like I built chefs without restaurants so that I could grow and scale something without it being my personal thing. They're like perfect little bites. I feel I'm so, so close to that while people who work with me have flexibility, like 
Andrew comes out on a gig, I might say, go make this vinaigrette and he can make it however, and it'll be fine. I don't need to micromanage that, but I wouldn't be at the point where I'm like, oh, go take this gig on Friday. Uh, like, I, I, like, I'm just, so I feel you. Like, yeah. it's, it's hard when you have something that's your baby, but, you know, everyone who's successful in business, they always say, like, you have to let go and, like, just allow some margin of error or loss with that. But that's what I'm having trouble with is, like, yeah, I'm not looking to grow my business and send out a bunch of chefs who are representing Perfect Little Bites making dinner. So I know how hard that is. I, 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 catered, I catered my own wedding because I'm a control freak. Oh, yeah. See, so we in the same boat. I'm the type of person that catered my own wedding, too. But, uh, yeah, to piggyback off of what you said, that's how I feel. I want to take – so I want to take my brand and be able to turn it into something that I can duplicate and mass produce. That's not necessarily food. So my end goal may be writing books. It may be uh, writing recipes and things like that. It's going to be food-related. But at the end of the day, I don't have to water down my actual product, which is my food, I can just build my brand big enough to where I can slide off and monetize something else. Maybe it'll be cooking classes with me. Maybe it'll be, but that's where, that's my goal. My goal is to not even have to cook. I want to get to the point where I'm in my forties and fifties and my name still rings bells for what I've done, but I'm not necessarily cooking. You know, I'm, oh, I'm hosting a panel or I'm, doing a, uh, a class where I teach how to make this one special dish and, or something like that. So um, I'm also trying to learn how to monetize my YouTube. I'm trying to learn how to, uh, you know, just that's why I'm here today to learn the, the, the podcast game from you guys. I'm just always trying to find a different way to say, OK, yeah, I'm a chef, but all my money doesn't have to come through me actually cooking. I can build my brand and use it to uh, make money through other streams of income. Speaking of streams of income, what do you think is your niche? I know you do meal prep. I know you do yeah. personal I'm chef. Say right now, uh, meal prepping events. That's like my thing. That's what's keeping the entrepreneur lifestyle intact. The, and now, yeah. when you do like a, like a personal <laughs> chef gig, a private chef gig, what kind of... What kind of menus are you putting out? What's your niche when it comes to that? Oh, oh seafood, comfort food, okay. upscale comfort food. Um, I'm taking your regular, normal things and just putting a twist on it. You know, people like stuffed salmon. They like crab cakes, um, shrimp and grits. But I'm just putting my own twist on it. You know, I'm going to do mango shrimp and get grits. I'm going to do... Uh, mm. A different, you know, it's going to be your traditional things that everybody else is doing, but I'm going to put my own little twist on it and I'm going to make it look a certain way. It's going to have a certain aesthetic. Um, I just feel like when you see my food, I want you to be like, oh, yeah, I, I can tell that Chef, Chef Marco made that mm-hmm. just by the way it looks and by the way it's set up. Do you do any like regular <clears throat> events like a pop up or something or weekly or monthly or anything like that? Uh, right now we're working on it. Um, we do have uh, me and Urban Chef and Chef uh, Jamie DC. We have a pop up we do every Friday at Union Kitchen. It's called Blackout Fridays. Mm-hmm. But right now that's a collaboration. So me on my own, no. But with me and two other chefs every Friday, Union Kitchen, Blackout Fridays, we're there. It's a pop up every week. Menu changes. You heard it. So, yeah. We're going to have to come check that out. 1369. Uh, what is it? 
I, I got the address. I just know it's it's in Northeast DC. Union Kitchen, just look that up. Yeah, look that up. 1369 New York Avenue. Mm-hmm. That's the address. It ain't too hard to find. The first thing I want to talk about today is um building building relationships and community and um specifically something we talked about off camera. <clears throat> I mean off air, whatever. Uh we we touch on doing stuff for free a lot. Um and generally we take the perspective of, of like for profit events and festivals like that, but there's also a realm of events that you know need food for free or maybe are just asking for it for free um, that that can be a benefit. So I was gonna see if you wanted to touch on that a little bit, maybe along the lines of the story, like with your with your son's school and stuff, mm-hmm. um, like. There's certain events you can do for free where, yeah. where you, you can gain a lot of value out of that. Yeah, I think when it comes to doing things for free, you know, do your research and make sure it's going to benefit you, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, it's not for free. It is going to benefit you. You might not get paid until a year later, but that connection you make or that uh that client that you get that refers you to another client, it will eventually pay for itself. Um, but just make sure, do your research and make sure it's something worthwhile. Make sure it's worth what you're putting out and don't oh, don't overdo it. We were also talking about know your limitations. If you're going to do a free event, don't break the bank. Say, hey, well, I can afford to bring this or do this. Do what you can. But any opportunity to spread your brand and Get people to taste your food, even if it's for free. It's if it's it's worth it. It's worth it if you can do it, you mm-hmm. know. But I also say research it because I know a friend who uh, they got got. It was supposed to be like a mansion party, and um, but you know it was a chance for them to showcase their food and all this and, and be a vendor. But when they got there, it was somebody's uh, house and you know, with a janky pool in the backyard and and like 25 people showed up. Um, But it all could have been avoided if they did the research. Do the research. Somebody send you an address, look that motherfucker up. Google map it. Hey, man, this ain't no mansion. What's going on? You know, I got questions. So uh, do your research. Make sure you're not going to get gypped. And don't be afraid to do stuff for free. People are like, nah, I know my worth. Hey, you know your worth, then know that doing this free event is going to get you what you put out is going to come back and something a lot of times two and three times fold. But you just got to be able to put it out there. I find a lot of times it makes sense to uh, do something for free when you know you're aligning yourself with you're aligning yourself with certain people that you want to be in the same room as, or if you're mm-hmm. doing something to align yourself with the community, you know, be, oh, a, yeah. be a part of a community. Yeah. Anything um, you can do to help is always a good look. Uh, anything with kids, old people, <laughs> any type of organization. If you get an opportunity to do something for the boys and girls club, don't hesitate because the free, the, the, the free is really not free. You will get paid. You will meet somebody. That's going to get you in a position to get paid. Because who's really got time to spend? The people who really got time to spend giving back to those type of organizations and community events and stuff is people who got they got time because they have resources to have time. You know, so 
it's people there you might want to meet. Now, um, I feel like Chris is looking at me and I, I want to say, <laughs> you are, you still like everything that what Marco just said holds true. You got to research it though. Like you got to research it. You know, and, you, got some... you know what else you got to realize too? And I think that this is the biggest part of doing anything. You really got to realize that sometimes where you put it, it's not going to come back from that. So like I've actually done uh, free events that maybe I did not connect with a client, but I still learned something that helped me make money. Literally, like I'd be like, oh, well, I made this dish and that was my first time doing this dish and I really liked it. It was a big hit. It was a big hit with these people. Now I know to make it again, even though I did it for free and I feel I've always gotten something out of an event, whether it was learning, it's always helped me. So I think that, like I said, as long as you can do it and you can afford to take that L, it's worth it. We were saying earlier that you wouldn't even be sitting here today if I didn't do a free event. So like I did this, I did this event, I did this event. I got like no, no business out of it, like no money out of it. But the connections that I made, like the only reason I know anything about you, Urban Chef, like all, all of you guys is because of this event I did, you know, our networks kind of connecting so there's no way to quantify that monetarily, but there's just, you know, you have to be open to the serendipity of that, right? Like right place, right time, right event. It might not pay off the way you wanted. You might not get a thousand dollar gig out of it, but you might meet some really cool people. And for me, that was the best part of doing that gig. I remember I heard Urban Chef talking about it earlier. Um, he was saying, how, you know, you do, do a free event. Don't look at it like it's free. Uh, that's another thing I see a lot of people do when they do do free events. They're like, well, it's free. So they don't put their all into it. And if you show up to a free event half assing, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get no contacts. Yeah, you're not going to get any leads. Like, you, you, you know, yeah, you didn't put in no work. And, the, and it shows the people there like, OK, this free chicken was good for free chicken, you know, <laughs> but I'm not going to call that chef. You know, I, for real, you got to show up and execute like they paid you if you're going to do it. That's actually a conversation point that's going to come on the podcast that we're dropping today. We talked about being the cheap caterer because there's, you know, I've seen that a million times and we, we got into that. We got into that with our last guest because, you know, talking about, you know, you're a caterer and you're, you normally charge $50 a head and someone wants you to do $30 a head. So you do it, but then you break out some frozen tilapia that's all gross and you have a hundred people show up to the wedding and they don't know you. They've never had your food, but you're serving gross thawed tilapia and instant mashed potatoes because you're trying to do it on the cheap. But how's that represent your brand? And we got into that on our last podcast and that one's actually going to be airing today. But we really got into that about like, should you have, should you have a cheap menu and how, how much do you care about building brand and just saying like, I understand your budget's this, but that's, I can't do it for that. So find someone who can work with that instead of lowering your standards like it's okay to take the $30 but you still need to be putting out that $50 caliber meal I think you're doing more damage by not so that's something we've touched on a lot is like being the cheap guy and kind of putting out a subpar meal so I'm so glad you hit on that at the end of the day you got to make a judgment call and choose what you're going to do just make sure you don't play yourself don't play your brand and don't play at people that are going to be trying your food. Yeah. Don't try to get over on them. Yeah. Even if you're doing You're only it getting over on yourself. Yeah. You're only getting over on yourself. Uh, people know when it's frozen fish. You know, people know when 
you didn't really make that, and it's just a, the instant mash. Like you said, it, people think they get in the way with something or cutting corners, but it, it always shows if, if you you'll be exposed. You will be exposed. You know, um, just keep it all the way thorough. If you can't do it, you can't do it. Not even just what we're talking about. Yeah, I would say it really does. It really does. Like, even just your personal, your own personal, like, energy levels and Mm -hmm. capacity. Sometimes you just gotta do what's best for you. That's correct. Gotta be able to say no. Be a yes man, but say no when you gotta say no. Yeah, that means don't be a yes man. (laughs) You gotta play the game. Yeah, you gotta know when. I always tell people, man, you know, it's so funny. People are like, oh, should I take this event? They're only trying to do this. I'm like, the best thing I can tell you is know when to hold it on the phone. I can't tell you. Only you know if this event is, is going to help. It's going to be good for you money-wise. Only you know if you can. I can't tell you, you know, so you just got to know. Make the best of it. Make the best of it. For sure. So this is kind of like an open end, open end form of the podcast part, or part of the podcast where okay. we can kind of talk about whatever you want. I know we didn't have. Sometimes I have like several topics, but today I had one, okay. which was the community building thing. So, well, you know, while I have this time on this platform, I wanted to get a little deep. Uh, I wanted to talk about mental health in the industry, in the food industry. I think that uh, mental health is a really big topic right now. And, you know, but I feel like when it comes to the food industry, we don't take care of our mental health. We don't get the days off we should. We don't take the time we should to take care of our mental health. Um, and it's detrimental to uh, to who we are. I, I want to say my wake up call came when my mentor, Anthony Bourdain, passed away. Um I wanted to be just like him. I felt like he was a rock star and I did. I patterned myself after him a lot. I would drink with my clients. I would, you know, I would drink uh, while I was cooking. I, I just felt like I lived this lifestyle of I'm going to ride it till the wheels fall off type of thing. I'm a work hard. I'm a party hard and I'm a chef. I could do this. And after years of that, and I was just like, I was so uh, out of it and always trying to just my mind always being foggy and not having any mental clarity. um, I went on a sabbatical, you know, and that was one of the best things I could have done, because when I did that, I was able to work on my mental health. um, You know, I'm going to talk about it a lot more next year, but I had a substance abuse issue that I had to address and um, I'm currently in recovery and it's been the best thing in my life. It's changed my life. Um, And I think that that needs to be spoke on in the industry. I know a lot of chefs who, man, we drink, we drink on the line. You know, when I started working in DC, uh, there was this culture of as long as you can do your job, no one asked you what was in your cup. They did not care. You can go on break and come back smelling like a fresh blunt. No one cared as long as you did your work. And sometimes 
I had to realize that um, even though you can get that's that's our coping mechanisms, we're we're just waiting to self destruct, man. I mean, we're running off of. I know there would be days on end where I wouldn't eat, um, you know, because I was constantly working double shifts, and I, my only coping was like, you know, you know, substance abuse to stay up and to just feel like, well, I'm not hungry, or just plow through it, or. My life sucks, so I'm going to get high while I'm at work to enjoy this shift. And I did that for years, and I feel like as chefs, we got to start addressing this this culture of, uh, you know, mental mental health and substance abuse in the industry. There should be, I feel like jobs should have counselors, man. Chefs need counselors. Chefs need, we need each other. It's just not spoke on, I think, enough in it. It's something I'm passionate about. And in 2020, I'm going to shed more light on my journey and my personal evolution to help other people. Luckily, I think that's becoming a thing, um, mm-hmm. at least in, in some restaurants where they, you know, they're starting to provide those type of services for their people. Oh, that's great. Even if it's from within. You know, I was just listening to a podcast, one of my favorite podcasts I just called uh, Restaurants Stop and Um And he had a guest on there the other day, and it, it's I think he might have offered some service where they, they got a counselor that comes in or that's available at all times. But they also have a culture within their company where, um, you know, everybody, somehow they, they built it up. Everybody's checking in on each other, like, constantly. It's like, that's dope. you know, it's like, you need to take a day off and they'll accept that if if, if they notice you're off or, like, somebody's having a bad day. It looks like they're crying. It's like, go, go, cut, go yeah. prep onions. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you don't want to. Be on the, on the line crying. Because it's like, constant pressure. It's constant stress. It's constant when you're in the industry and then it's all about results. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about your per- personal anything. It's about those results. So, you know, you can't say, well, I, I had this family issue and that, that's why I'm late. Uh, you know, uh, me and Chris were talking about dealing with the death of a loved one, things like that. They don't, there's no room for any compassion in that in the industry. Um, Opening day is opening day. The dinner rush is dinner rush, and we're going to get it out no matter what. So I think that having that support, especially if you – because it's really what pushed me to be a chef without a restaurant. Honestly, the industry not having that backing, I was like, I can do this on my own better than this and and be able to have days off and have peace of mind. You know, working for myself gives me the peace of mind that no restaurant can give me. I don't care how much money – they want to pay me. It's not worth being able to be there for my family and my son. And I think things are changing incrementally. I mean, you know, there should still be options if you want to have a drink sometime, but like maybe yeah. not having the shift drink and everything. But things I'm saying is like, I'm a big fan of star chefs and going to the star chefs convention up in New York city. And I've gone the past nine years and it was always like all day. It was like an open bar. Like it was a chef convention and you could sit there and listen to great chefs like Grant Ackett's and Mario Batali and all them. But like also on the floor, there was all these cocktails and wine and you could get that. And two years ago, they moved away from that. And it was like, okay, we're going to have available from like 11 to 1.30. Like when there's lunch, there'll be one person there and you can get a cocktail or some wine. But then they like shut it down. And from two to six, there's no alcohol. And they want you to be there, be present, take in all the presentations and stuff and just kind of get away from that whole mode of like chefs are going to be there drinking all day and they're going to be skipping, going to the actual content. Like we're there for this convention to see these chefs and learn from them. And a lot of chefs were not sitting in the stands listening to these chefs 
they're out there getting their free drinks and just seeing just two years ago, um, things like that. I think that's kind of the move. You hear a lot of people talk about going to like food and wine festival and everyone's drunk there all the time. So like how, where are the safe spaces where, where, you know, where can you get a really good mocktail or like a kombucha or something like that? And you're just seeing more and more people saying, you know, like maybe you don't drink at all or maybe you do, but like what are some really good non-alcoholic options or, you know, so you don't feel left out. Cause I think there's definitely peer pressure to drink. Like every, oh, like sure. everyone's drinking. I, sure. I'll have a drink. Right here, they pass me a drink. I never turn down. Yeah. I just hit this one. I just, <laughs> I throw it right on my shoulder, but I mean, yeah, you literally is no, it's everywhere you turn, you turn everywhere in the industry. And for someone who deals with that, um, I've just learned to accept it, that that is a part of the culture. Um, and I feel like I'm still at that stage where I, I, like I said, I really haven't even came out and told. This is my first time really even being on my platform and sharing with them that I'm on this journey. And I do think there's a little bit of pressure because you do get pressured to join in and to have a drink. And like I said, I don't say I don't. I just throw it on my shoulder and continue on, you know. But like, but getting to the, but getting to the place now where I think at least more people are saying no, I don't drink or I'm in recovery or whatever. I think you know, once again, baby steps. The same with mental health. Like nobody used to talk about going to therapy or whatever, and now it's like, yeah, maybe we should be talking about that because then it normalizes it. It's like, yeah, let's talk about. You know, I I don't go to a therapist, but I have anxiety issues, which have mostly resolved since I got out of where I was working before. But like the fact that I had a lot of physical ailments that all came down to stress and anxiety where I was having panic attacks like 15 years ago, I went to the emergency room. I thought I was dying. Like I had chest pains. And then because of that, I thought I was having a heart attack. So my legs collapsed and I fell down and my wife drove me to the ER and I thought I was going to die. And it was like a panic attack. Yeah. And then like, it just builds on that. And, you know, I think getting to the point where you can share your story with people and say like, yeah, I, I am, you know, I have some anxiety, I have some stress, you know, like, and how do you deal with that? And then people open up and tell you what they're doing and what their coping mechanisms are and how that helps, you know? Um, so just kind of, I think the more we normalize that and talking about all our issues with stress and anxiety and substances and stuff, it's going to get better. And, you know, there's still people out there who say man up, you know, uh, you see all this stuff on Facebook and all these people saying, like, put on your big boy pants, like nobody wants to hear you bitching. And I'm really sad that that's, you know, still a stance that people are taking out there. I just think to be able to be any kind of successful, you know, it's not just about being talented at what you do. It's about having a sound mind and about having a sound body. You know, if I have the talent, but I can't perform because I'm you know, I'm not physically well, or I'm not mentally, I'm not going to get anywhere, you know? And I think that's what happens to, I know some talented, talented chefs who can cook their ass off, but they'll never surpass me only because I know that they can't get up in the morning, or I know that the lifestyle that they lead is not conducive to them owning their own business. So that's why they stay in a restaurant because they know, Hey, all I got to do is show up eight hours every day I get my check I don't have to check in with this client I don't have to remember this I don't have to use this mental part I can just all I gotta do is show up to work and I did that I did that for years just showed up for work and you're not gonna get anywhere you're not gonna reach your full potential you have to have some type of uh, mental stability and you gotta take care of yourself so 
like I said, going through uh, that and seeing what happened to Anthony Bourdain and just being like, you could be at the top of your game and it's still affecting you. It's not about the money or any of that. It's just about where you're at with it mentally. So that that's a big part of the game. I think the position that we're in as uh, independent operators is definitely like a unique one too because it's kind of like a it's a double-sided coin really because in one way we're we're alone you know and but but that gives us time to self-reflect so we can see like what what's going on we can ask ourselves these questions meditate yeah and and we don't (laughs) have we don't have a lot of people that's really pressuring us or telling us that like fuck your problems because we're in our part like Mm -hmm. we got ourselves and then the other side of the coin is that we're alone all the time, and we don't really have, like, the shit gets lonely. It does. And nobody's going to ask you, like, you know, when you're a business owner, everybody just thinks everything's cool and you're good. Like, just because you own a business, oh, you you must be making money. Mm-hmm. You're happy. Mm-hmm. You're living life. Like, Envy. They be like, I wish if, you, if I had the business, your food truck, you know what I'd be doing? Or if I had this, if I had that. It's like, if only they knew. If only y'all know. It's, it's lonely. It is lonely. It can be uh, especially you know, hard Relationships struggle, you know? have disintegrated because I don't have the time to give them the proper nurturing that they need. There are friends of mine who have fell off only because now that I'm a business owner, I cannot make it to that. That once a meeting we used to have a week or I can't make that phone call. I just can't be there for them the way that they would like. And um, it's rough. It's rough. Also, that when you have a job and you're late, your boss calls you or your coworker calls you. When you're working on your own, you have to be self-motivated. And that still goes back to your mental health and your physical health. If you're not mentally right, you're not physically right. The only person that makes me get out of the bed in the morning is Mark O'Fucking-Neil. If, if nobody, I don't have nobody else. Every now and then I have friends who will call me. But at the end of the day, I got to get up and go to work. And I think a lot of people don't have that drive. They they, they need a job because it's like, ah, I don't show up. I'm going to get fired. You know, whereas if they had their own business, they wouldn't be productive because they know who I'm answering to me. And I've been on both sides of the coin. I've seen my business fail because I was only answering to me and, mm-hmm. and missing work and taking off. And you can quickly you go down, find like, that you can quickly go down oh, spiral yeah. and spiral shit. I mean, I, I literally in the past two weeks almost got kicked out of my house. And I'm not gonna say I lost my like lose my family, but mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? Balance, like, baby. like almost lost my relationship with the mother of my child. Like just because of the pressure and the stress that's that's I mean it's it's not a direct effect, but the way that the pressure and the stress of, the, of being in this industry by myself has put on me, it's like that it directly affects her. You know what I mean? Because she gets the most of me and she gets the most of my free time. And when she's not really getting me or like she doesn't get to, you know, like I'm closed up. I'm not expressing myself. like, And I'm not the type of person like I've never really it's hard for me to address and, and communicate really the what I'm feeling inside because I'm just feeling it. You know, I don't put that on other people. Yeah. And in some ways that's a good thing, but in a, in a lot of ways that's not good because I don't have nobody to talk to. Um, and sometimes I don't even know how to talk about it, but, and then, you know, that's just, that stress. It's community. We, we, we've been saying community all day. And I think that community 
that is what like I look at it like this. Even though I'm a rush, I'm a entrepreneur. I do have coworkers. I have other entrepreneurs that do what I do, and these are the people I talk to on a daily. So, like for example, what me and Dre do for each other is, even though we might not work together every day, he is that person that will call me. He's that person like, hey, Marco, I see you got meals going out at 11. It's nine. Are you up and out? You know what I mean? And I'll do the same for him. So that community is what helps me. Because at the end of the day, like he said, we don't have anyone to talk to. Uh, We try to take on everything by ourselves. And then I notice, too, when it comes to your family, right, you don't want to tell them too much because you don't want them worried. You want them to think that you're you're good. So when you're like, oh, man, I'm at this event. I'm waiting for this event to hit so I can pay this bill. You don't want to tell your baby mother that. You just want it to happen and and, and pay that bill. You don't want to express to her that you're worried and you're a little concerned. You don't want to say, look, I got this issue going on because you want your, the people that are dependent on you to feel like, especially as men, you want us want everyone around you to feel like, all right, he's a provider and he's taking care of things. So we keep everything to ourselves. But if you had that community of people doing the same thing as you, you'll have someone you could call. You could be like, man, I, I, I uh, dropped the ball at this today or this went well. You can talk about it because we need to do that. And that's been my biggest in the last year, it's really helped me having a group of chefs that I could consider my coworkers. That's been my saving grace. I can call Kiss the Chef. I can call Urban Chef. I call Chef Rike. I can, even if it's just for five minutes, I can ask them a question. I have coworkers to me. It's not like I'm in it alone. You ever post something online and someone like DMs you, like, what's going on? Or like, maybe you shouldn't have posted that because it's kind of. Not cool, you know, because I've done that before. Like, like you have a, like you have a, like you have like. There's been times that I've, I've felt a certain way, and you still sit on it for a couple of minutes, and then you tweet something out, and then someone shoot you a DM and they're like, "Dude, like I totally know where you're coming from, but like you don't look really good in that light with what you just posted up." And those are like the, those friends, right? Because they know yeah, you, buddy. and they're watching your back, and like, man, like I get where you're coming from, but you just posted that up on a public forum, and I think you should take that down. That ever happened to you? Oh man. Just recently, I, you know, thank everybody this year. I hit 20K followers, and um, I did not realize how far my reach is until people start saying things to me. So uh, I post other content uh, to help brand myself. I post, you know, funny videos, things that aren't even, I try to rate rooted in cooking, but it's not always. Sometimes it's just me and my son. But um, there was this funny video I saw one day and I needed some content. I felt like my story, my Instagram story was a little dry. So I shared it to my story. And the comedian, he was using vulgar language. And um, a mother, a mother was like, every morning I watch your, your Insta stories in the car with my kid on the way to school. And usually I don't curse. I don't have any content myself. That I would have to worry about. But me posting this other person's content, I didn't even think about it. But she was like, yeah, the video came on and he was cussing. And, you know, it was just a. I had to realize, like, wow, my platform does hold a place. I have to I have a responsibility with 
with these followers comes a responsibility. Whereas though, if I had only had 200, 300, I'm quite sure I maybe wouldn't have ruffled no feathers or, but now I'm realizing like, um, there are kids that follow me. There are teenagers. Um, there's people that actually look up to me. So certain things I may say is going to be law. So I, 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 and I'm, I feel like I'm just a regular person, but at the end of the day, I've accepted that, that I can't post. And I hate it. Sometimes I, I, I do post and I delete them a lot. I'll um, make a video. And now what I do is I don't post impulsively. So if I record a video, I always sit on it. Always. Even if I think it's funny as hell, I'll sit on it and I'll come back to it because I want to make sure I'm not offending anybody. I want to make sure I'm not doing anything to hurt my brand because at the end of the day, it is about the brand. So, yeah, definitely. I get those calls. And another thing I'll say is you have to be able to stand your ground. There's some things that I've posted and people have said what they said. And I, I just be like, nope, that's me. I'm posting it. It is what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a fine line between that and just being downright wrong. And right now, you're see, there's a lot of things in social media. I mean, there was a big issue a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you saw with the, the Galena's pop-up. Did you see all this thing? It's like no. a worldwide chef culinary thing. And every year they do this shuffle thing. And a bunch of chefs came over from, I think they came over from Asia and went to a bunch of U.S. cities and did like a kitchen swap. But there was a photo where a bunch of them wear like the Asian rice Italian, hats. It was an Italian. It was an, it was an Italian. Oh, it was an Italian. Oh, yeah, they ended up in Asia. And they did like the slant eye thing oh, and were no, wearing like the. the better. Right. But like, I mean, like a picture like that goes viral. And as fast as everyone can take it down, like it's been screenshotted and passed around. And it turns into a huge thing, and rightfully so. But, I mean, in the moment, they probably didn't – they thought about it. Like, someone should have called them out and been like, yeah, that's not cool. But it happened. But, like, how quickly can that take down your whole business and all your credibility? And we're talking about a Michelin star chef here who this, you know, um, it happened. And then they sat. It was like 24 hours. Like, nobody officially from the organization had even come out and made a statement. And the longer you sit on that. And it's like the world is so small now with social media and the internet, you have no time to do damage control on that. And I've seen that happen to a couple of groups uh, now. It's like, you know, but the, but the organization wasn't the one that did it. You know, it was a chef representing right. their representing event, their but that's still, reflect- still so, so that, so, so that, so that reflects back on your organization, which once again comes back to when you start an organization, you know, I have chefs without restaurants. And if I put my name on an event, and I'm not there and one of my chefs acts poorly, like you got to move on that really quickly and kind of distance yourself and say like, that doesn't represent my brand. So. And I don't know that, I don't know if it was 24 hours or what, but that they did come out and say that that chef and his crew won't be invited back. And then that chef actually posted something. He posted. Like, that was sad though. That was <laughs> no good. He posted a picture of himself with a little pouty face. That was just sorry. And then he had, uh, he wrote out some apology, which was like, I've seen worse apologies, but you know, a lot of times people do public apologies for shit like that. And it's like, well, you already did it. It's not really, the, the apology doesn't really count as damage control anymore. You know what I mean? It's nah. just like you saying, well, you guys told me I'm wrong and yeah, there's nothing I can do I'm about sorry. that now. Yeah. So like, you know, the, the, it's at the point now in society where like you do some shit like that and you gotta, you got to do a lot to redeem yourself. You can't just say, I'm sorry. For sure. I messed up. Because nobody's going to, everybody's just going to be like, well, if you if nobody called you out on it, you wouldn't have felt bad about it. You know what I'm saying? Or you wouldn't even thought about it. Or if it wasn't 
viral online. Like if your bo- if your homeboy that was in the picture was like, hey, maybe we shouldn't have take that picture. Maybe we should take it down. Like, Shut the fuck up. Right. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? And then, you know. I think the smaller chefs, too, especially with social media, a lot of times they don't. They're not really aware of what they're posting. And I, I got I don't care if you got 100 followers, 200 followers. I feel like if you're trying to use your social media to start your business, beware of what you post. You can't post everything. You can't. Um, you just got to make sure it's all in line with your brand. But you, they know. I mean, you. I think most of the people know. They think they're not going to get caught. But like some people, some of the things. Some I people, some people post, are. I'm like, would you, would you if you had 50k, would you post it? I think sometimes they just think, oh, nobody's watching. I'm only, I don't have any followers. Well, that's what I mean. Like, they're not doing it and be like, oh, I didn't know that that was wrong. They're like, they know it's wrong, but they don't think anyone's going to catch it. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I think very few times where people are like, oh, that was racist? I didn't realize. They're like, oh, that was racist? And the world saw it? Shit. I mean, some people just don't care. They're like, I didn't realize that I was offending people. Uh, I apologize that I that you got offended. Like that's not that's not probably. You gotta remember your business first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, social media part comes second. You know, a lot of people don't. They think it's just social media. So they're like, "Well, I have the right to express my opinions." I'm like, "Yeah, but not while you're trying to start a business." You know, you, have a separate page. I had to learn that. You you're know, narrowing have a separate your reach. Page. Yeah, you're making your reach a lot more narrow mm-hmm. when you do stuff like that. And I do it a little, I mean, I got two pages. I have my pizza on the page and I have my personal page. And, you know, I, I put some of my personality into the pizza llama stuff, but I try not to go too deep into that, to, yeah. to the rawness that is me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I got my personal page for that. Right. And that's actually part of the reason why when we first did the first couple episodes, um, you know, and he wasn't necessarily wrong for this, but Chris tagged my business profile. And I was like, hey, you know, like, I think I would rather you, you tag my personal profile because I'm a, I want to be on this podcast saying whatever the fuck I want. Like, yeah, we do it for a certain community. We do it for chefs, you know. Um, and I'm not really afraid of. I'm comfortable in what I say. I'm not afraid of the 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 repercussions that might come with that. You know what I mean? But you don't want it to reflect on your business. I don't want all of it to reflect on my business because I want my business to be more of an open forum or platform for you. know what I'm saying? Like, I want to give it. I feed anybody pizza. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and not. Yeah, nah. <laughs> was it disclaimer? And I think sometimes too we got to stop limiting ourselves. Uh, I think that a lot of times too, our demographics get limited, and I've been working on that. You know, actually for a long time, a lot of my clients were just black, and I was like, well, that's cool, but. You know, like you said, I want to I want to service everybody. So I kind of had to realize what it was that was making my my demographic be that way. And it was basically the way I was marketing things. Once I started marketing, maybe using different hashtags um, and not just trying to expose myself to a demographic that I'm comfortable with because that's where I come from or those are the people that I know. Once I started just kind of linking up with different people, I was able to expose myself to um, a different demographic. And I also didn't have to change my food. I really thought it was my food. I blamed my demographic on my food at first. I was like, oh, well, I only get black clientele because I'm selling mac and cheese and 
and collard greens and, and, and um, short ribs and, you know, just Southern food. But then I realized, no, white people want that, too. Latino people want that, too. Africans want that, too. You just have to market towards them as well. And I feel like I was only marketing towards my demographic. That's why I was only getting my demographic. Now I started marketing towards other people. I have all different, you know, people hitting me up for the same cuisine. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes in business, how in marketing they tell you to have like an avatar or um, yeah, you know, like a like your target and yeah. like who and and you have to pick like you gotta be specific. I mean, this is what people say. I've never done it because I, I want to hit a lot of markets too. Like mm-hmm. I want to hit all demographics. I think pizza is one of the most universal oh, things. Like yeah. you can give somebody like who. If you don't like pizza, it's usually probably not because of your demographic. It's because Cause you lactose. It's because you lactose. But you can That's get lactose it. pizza. I make vegan pizzas I lactose-free. Right. I got a friend who just started a company up in New York, um, and he's using all this buffalo mozzarella, so all his pizzas are lactose-free, but they still have Everybody cheese on like it. pizza. It's crazy. Yeah. Everybody. That's the point, though, right? So, like, but it's, it's kind of like a fine line because I still need that sort of tar- – got to target something. You know, what yeah. I'm like how I mean, broad? Yeah, don't pigeonhole yourself. Though, yeah, you do have to. You do have to target something. You're right. Yeah. So I just spread yourself. Yeah. To yeah, you gotta pick one. And my my life partner. I, I gotta say that because some people would be like business partner. No, my my life partner. She's very keen on marketing and and uh, business too now. Um, but she's always mentioned to me that my market is. It's like it's working like young working people, you know, like young professionals. That's my market. Like I can sell to older people. Mm-hmm. I can sell to people who got kids. Some young professionals have kids. I can sell to teenagers, you know what I mean? And they won't ever forget my brand, which is one of the cool things about it. But um, the people who understand my brand, my product, and, and are going to be my main market, you know, it's the young professional. It's just what it is. They get it. They'll go to a food truck and not question it and understand that my food is, you know, I got I got better pizza than anybody else in Frederick and I'm using a food truck and I don't have a restaurant and I don't want a restaurant. But it's nice when you can like be yourself. You know, for me, I've worn a chef coat my whole life. And when I started doing the personal chef things, I still dressed that way. Like I still wore a white chef coat that said crispier, you know, chef and my pants and all that. And like within... And I thought that's what people needed or expected, right? You know, you roll up in this, you know, it's like really wealthy, like really wealthy old white people, you know, but I mean, that was a lot of my demographic and they kind of wanted to see that. And even though I've done it for like 20 years, I, it didn't feel like natural to me. And it's only recently that like now my gears, I wear like a dicky short sleeve mm-hmm. shirt and like my jeans, I like roll in with my, you know, Star Wars snapback cap. Mm-hmm. And it's made no, di- like nobody cares. Like I've never rolled in and someone's like, oh, you're the chef. You don't look like a chef. But now I feel more comfortable. Like I feel like that's me and the expression and one time a customer said to me, like, why you wear a Star Wars hat? And I literally, like, right off my tongue, I said, because I own my own business and I can. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, I said it half jokingly, but really seriously, mm-hmm. that I never felt like that guy who should be in, like, the starched, ironed, white chef coat mm-hmm. with, like, the big, tall hat. And I felt like for so many years I had to do that because that's what people are going to expect to roll in their door. And I've been dressing how I want now for over a year, and I finally feel comfortable. It's nice to be able to strip that down. I can still have the high-end clientele who have a personal chef, and that's just my style, and it feels so good. 
I'm so glad he said that. Were you ever concerned when you said that, like, to your client? Maybe, no. maybe it was a little too late. No. Not, not that client, no. Okay, I guess it matters how they were asking you to. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you answer like that, like because I own my own business and I don't want to, it's like, all right, leave my house now. I'm never calling you again. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. That's good. Yeah, that, that that's when he just says that's gems because I've done it both ways too. I remember when I first started going into people's homes, I was hell bent on having a pressed chef coat on, and my whole thing was I have to look like a chef. You know, I have to look like a chef. I have to look like a chef. And then I started realizing that I was like, I just want to be functional. And what I mean by that is, okay, I'm still going to have an apron on. I'm still going to use gloves. I'm still going to make sure that my hygiene is on point. But I might not have on a chef coat. I might not have on, what are those, the Crocs, you know? I, I, and, and then as I started doing that, and I started wearing things for function, function, you know, to be able to move the way I want and be comfortable, like you said, I didn't see any difference. People were just more concerned with, hey, is he clean? Is he neat? Um, you know, was I, did I move? And it's just move a certain way. I mean, you know, you move, you get in somebody's kitchen, they might look at you, where's your chef coat? But once they start seeing you move and how you carry yourself, and and with me, I guess people already, a lot of my clients see me and already know what I look like because I try to, I'm, I, my face is a big part of my brand. So they already know what to expect. So I'm never really showing up to any of these events and throwing anybody off by being dressed in regular clothes. But I get that question a lot. A lot of people are like, "You, I always see you cooking regular clothes or, you know, like, how do you do? And I'm just like, yeah, you don't have to have a chef coat. It is a big misconception, though. A lot of people are with the uniform and looking like a chef, but whatever that is. I think most of the people who hire us and then the three similar but different businesses that we have, like <clears throat> most of the time they're hiring us for us. They're not hiring yeah. us for the chef code. You know what I mean? I had the similar thing where I do weddings, mm, maybe not a lot, but I do weddings and, um, you know, me and my crew, we don't have, we don't wear chef coats to make wood fire pizza in 90 degree weather. We wear t-shirts and I got tattoos mm-hmm. and you know what I mean? Like we wear jeans. We like I, I tell them, oh, we're wearing our all blacks today. Like we, everybody got to wear black jeans or black pants and our black shirts. But like, yeah, I think so there definitely good. needs to be an aesthetic. Yeah, so we you look good and we up. look like a crew. But at the same time, it's like I used to worry about. It. I'd be like, man, they're all in tuxes and like it's hot and well, they're not staying in front of the oven, but still, they're all in tuxes and I'm like serving all these people and wearing t-shirts and stuff. And I used to feel weird about it, but then I was like, you know what? No, they paid me money knowing what they were getting. Like, when have they ever seen me walk around in a chef coat? When have they ever seen us like in some like funny pizzaolo uniforms with the red scarf on? Like, no, you're not getting that with Pizza Llama. Like, we're raw, we're punk, we're like, you know what I mean? Because once you start wearing that chef coat, one thing I did realize, you better wear that every time. Whatever you do, just be consistent with it. If you're going to be t-shirt and jeans, that's how I show up to every event. Show up like that. Be comfortable. Don't don't flip-flop because people will be expecting it. They'll, they want what they see. You know, I post uh, myself in the kitchen all the time. And with that look, that aesthetic, that's what you're going to get when I show up to your party, to your event. You know, because like I say, people people paying for us. I have 
the biggest thing people say all the time, oh, I'm I'm supporting you and I don't even know what your food tastes like because they are supporting me. They like what they've seen. They like how I represent myself and my business and my brand, and they just want to support it. So, yeah, bring yourself to the table. I kind of want to, like, before we end up this section, I want to touch on something. It's a little off. It's, it's kind of tangent. Um, but you saying support just reminded me of something. And it's something I heard from uh, another restaurant owner. Anyway, he, he was talking about um, support versus consumerism. And I guess what his issue was, was like, you know, somebody who comes and buys a pizza from you once a week or once a month. Like, I guess what he wanted to say is that, like, you can't really get that twisted. Like, that's that's actually consumerism. It's not really support because you're the whole purpose of your business. My business is selling pizza. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to buy a pizza from me, like, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I love you. You know what I mean? But for you to for me to say, like, thank you for the support. There's nothing wrong with that. First of all, let me say that. And there's nothing wrong with people like saying I support you. But just coming and buying a pizza from me is that's consumerism. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? You're coming to get a product that I work hard on and you pay money for. You know what I'm saying? None of that goes to me expand. I mean, unless I dictate the money to expansion, none of that is going towards my expansion or growth you know what i mean so like and when you support somebody it's like you introduce me to somebody you invest in me you you know there's different things you give me knowledge you know what i mean or you you give me your time like that's support just buying the product is consumerism you know and it's necessary it's a, it's, a, it's like a necessary part of our business it's not like it's not appreciated it's a way it, it can be considered a form of support but i think i just think it was worth noting like that uh that thought process because i never thought about it like that before until i heard him say that and i was like that's real true and it came down like he got even deeper with it where yeah. like you know um like you would just have to listen to it it was it was Derek Falcon conversation with a good friend of mine the other day um what's the difference between the person that buys meal prep from me every week which is the consumer and the person who maybe hasn't bought meal prep from me but they repost me every day. Mm-hmm. They've given me endless, endless uh, uh, referrals. So they, you know, they've never actually put a dollar of their hard-earned money in my pocket. But they've, like you said, given their time to spread the word about my business. They've given their time to repost me on their social medias. And that kind of that's generated more money than that consumer who literally doesn't tell nobody about me doesn't they just literally get their product from me and see it have a nice day sir you know and it doesn't go any further than that but what i did realize between the conversation i have with him between consumers and actual supporters is you just gotta appreciate uh both of them equally because you need both yeah, you do. I feel like so. I still, I still show that consumer just as much love as that supporter. You know, I think it's they, they gotta both get love. But you do yeah, need no, to know the difference. Do. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you need to know the difference between who's a supporter and who's a consumer. Though. You need to be able to, you know, pinpoint. Yes, sir. All right, and this is on the fly. This is the last. This is the final section of our podcast where we ask you questions. You need to answer in one word or one sentence. Feel free to elaborate a little bit if you need to, but uh, it's more fun when you do it real fast. Freestyling off the top. Let's exactly. go. Exactly. Yep. On the fly. All right. What's your favorite tool in the kitchen? Chef knife. 
Okay, what's your favorite food to eat? Shrimp. If you had all the money, what's the first position you would hire? To work for me? Mm-hmm. Ooh, personal assistant. Okay, all around. Who's your favorite chef? Rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain, and Dennis Marcus Samuelson. Okay. Art or science? Art. What's one thing you do differently from everybody else? I do me. <laughs> only one person could be. And the only dance, so it's different. Technically, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, would, I do me. Yep. Uh, what's your favorite digital tool? Ooh, iPhone. Can you recommend a, a book or a podcast? Can't be this podcast. A book or a podcast, 48 Laws of Power. You ain't got to read it. The audio, uh, I'm doing the audio version. It's on YouTube. Yep. The audible version is on YouTube right now. Listen to it. It's 10 hours long, but it's worth it. I'm on hour three. All right. What's, uh, what's your favorite culinary resource? Could be a magazine, mm-hmm. website, something like anything you can get inspiration from. It could be Instagram or a specific person you say, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say uh, Instagram, and it's it's literally hashtags. Uh, I would say maybe the insta-eat because I get to see an array of different things. And I don't know how that algorithm works, but like I'll get a post from someone that literally has 100 followers and it'll be a post that sparks the biggest idea. And then I'll see a post from someone that has 100,000 followers, but it's all under that same hashtag. So that hashtag is love. We literally did a a mini episode about about Instagram being a culinary resource. Oh, yeah, for sure. As well as just a net resource in general. And, and one of the last things I said was follow hashtags. Yeah, hashtags, I've met, I bet I've met some cool people right off Very cool. All right, so how do you decompress? Music. Let's put the headphones Listening on. Listening to music. Um, it, it, it lets me take my mind off everything. My mind's constantly running. Constantly. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking of food, ideas, what I have to do next. But when I put in my headphones and I turn on some music, uh, I can just kind of block block things out. I kind of can free up my mind for a second, you know, with music. All right. And what do you want the bass guy to be remembered for? Uh, man, I, I just want my legacy to be. Uh, I want it to be that I was and this is going to sound very cliche, but I was real. You know, I, I'm I'm real, man. Like, I'm a real person, you know, and I want people to know that, like, we are all real and we just, we can relate. My thing is relatability. I try to, to find something to relate to everybody. And that's how I built my, you know, clientele, because I've always just been very personable, very vulnerable, and I'm, I'm real. Give us somebody else. We, we, we need some more guests. Who do you recommend that we get on this podcast? Oh, man. Poppy Cuisine. Y'all got to get him. He's in Baltimore. Um, probably one of my favorite chefs. Uh, I know Chef Nell. She's upstate. She's one of my favorite. And y'all got to get my boy Kiss the Chef on here, man. Put in the plug. He's on, he's on the list. Put in the plug. All right. Got to, man. Get Kiss the Chef up. Kiss the Chef need to come up here. Uh, no doubt. Because that's who, who uh, without a doubt, I wouldn't be sitting here if it weren't for that man. Straight up. Like, you know, he's, uh, what is it? I guess he's Diddy and I'm Biggie. You know what I'm saying? Straight up. Yeah. Uh, Dre had a similar thing to say mm-hmm. about that. 
as far as people paving the way yeah. in the DMV for uh, personal yeah. chefs. He made me realize it's, it's real because I saw other people doing it, but he allowed me to watch him do it in person. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, it's real. It's real. Because uh, a lot of these Instagram people be capping. A lot of them got followers, but they're not making no money or they're not really doing nothing. So I and I knew that. So I wasn't ever sold on it. I was never sold on putting my time in the Instagram and doing us because I knew people was lying. But once I got with him, I saw it. I saw the lines around the corner. I saw the people gathering just off of a post. And I said, oh, snap. I could, I could, hey, he's a person like me. I can do the same thing. And I was able to do it. So, yeah, y'all got to get him up here, man. He's a goat. All right, man. Um, <clears throat> thank you for coming up here. We appreciate you coming out and getting vulnerable, getting deep, being real. We'd love to have you back sometime. The whole crew that was here today, really. But, yeah, we appreciate you. Let everybody know where they can uh, find you at, where they can follow you. Uh, follow me at Mark underscore underscore O'Neill, O-N-E-I-L. That's my main handle on Instagram. And you can um, also follow me uh, on Facebook at I am Chef Bay. Um, if you find it on there, we should. I'm the only one on there with that tag. Uh, I am Chef Bay, Chef Marco. It should come up on Facebook and follow me there. But my main source of, if you want me to get back to you, is follow my Instagram. Thank you, Base God. Yep. Base God is blessed the building. All right. Make sure, you, make sure you like and subscribe. Write a review for us on the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast on all platforms. Follow us on Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. And uh, if you have anything, any suggestions, any concerns, comments, whatever, chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Shout out to Jug Bridge Brewery for hosting us and uh, Toyo Mancy for the cool beats. And we'll catch you all next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.